Y'all can clap for June. <laughs> which, which I know she gives the glory to the Lord too. God's gifted her for sure. And playing those, tickling those ivories over there. Thank you, June, for that beautiful offertory hymn. We're continuing our study on living in the fear of God. And been talking in the last few weeks about how that is contrasted by the fear of man. And um, many times we might think that uh, we're not controlled by the fear of man. That we might think in our own pride that uh, nobody really tells us what to do. And we don't operate by any other's person's agenda, but there's more to it than that. Much of what we think and much of how we act, and um, many times a lot of the things we do is because we want the approval of other people. And it's not wrong to want to please people. It's wrong when that becomes your God, when that is why you do everything you do. And uh, nobody deserves the place of God in your life but God. And uh, so we're be, we've been talking about that. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the bull. A bull is wild by nature and uh, uncontrollable by nature. But uh, farmers and uh, others have learned that they can manage these large, powerful beasts with, uh, by simply just placing a ring in the bull's nose. When someone pulls on that nose ring... It is so painful to that bull that that bull will do almost anything to avoid the pain from that uh, nose ring. So he therefore becomes compliant. And without his consent, he's become ensnared to the will of man. And sometimes that's the way we operate. There, are, there is somebody or a group of people that often has a ring in our nose. We don't necessarily even know that ring is there. But all they have to do is tug on it. You're not cool if you don't do this. Tug. I won't love you unless you do this. Tug. You can't be my friend unless you do this. Tug. And on and on we go through life with people tugging on our nose ring. And we'll just follow them because we want what they're offering us. That's the fear of man. And it, it will destroy the fear of God in our hearts. Now, we've talked about the fear of God a lot. We're not to be afraid of God. But the fear of God is where we put Him first and we follow Him only. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, The fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. Interesting, the word in the original language of the Old Testament, the word snare means a noose for catching animals, or by implication, a hook for the nose. In other words, when you are controlled by other people, it's like having a nose ring, and you're just being led, and you don't even realize it sometimes. You're just doing what you do because you're an approval junkie. You just want somebody to love you. You want somebody to think highly of you. The fear of man is like a nose ring. And when anybody reaches out and yanks it, we become immobilized and we will do anything. So let's look at some of the snares. 
Two weeks ago, we talked about the snare of deceit. Remember Abraham? He told Sarah, he said, we're going off to Egypt here because there's famine in the land. He said, but you're such a beautiful woman that let's tell them you're my sister because I fear what they would do to me. So he was, he was lying because he was afraid of men. We talked about cowardice. Nicodemus and some of the other Jewish leaders would not, even though they believed in Jesus, would not confess him openly because they were afraid that they might be excommunicated from the synagogue. They were cowards. Then we talked about Aaron in the Old Testament, Moses' brother, how the fear of man will cause you to compromise your faith and your beliefs. As Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments and the instructions from God, the book of the law, Aaron was pressured to mold them or create them some other fashionable, visible God. And so Aaron compromised. And it says in the scriptures that he feared the people. And that's why he did it. And he compromised his faith. You see, the fear of man will cause you to compromise your faith, to do what you know is wrong in order to please the people that you want to please. See, it's a snare. The one I want us to deal with today is the snare of disobedience. And I want us to look at Numbers 14, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses of Numbers 14. And then we're going to look at 1 Samuel 15. Numbers 14, verse 1 through 10. So all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Now what's going on here? They're up at the edge of the promised land. They sent out 12 spies to spy out the promised land. They saw it was a great land. It was everything God told them it would be. But there were giants in the land. And they were very afraid. So let's listen to what we find out. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. That just means, that verse means that they humbled themselves before God. Verse 6, But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who, had, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. This was a sign of their grief uh, at the rebellion of the children of Israel. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. That is, to stone Joshua and Caleb. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Now let's pick up with verse 17. I'm sorry, we're going to stop right there. The Israelites chose to disobey God. Why were they not going to enter the promised land? God, they'd been in the left Egypt. They were in bondage for over 400 years. 
Okay? Some of them were born, many of them, most of them, well, those alive at that time were born and raised in bondage. And here they are. God delivers them with a mighty hand. All the plagues he brought upon Egypt, crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. He had seen God, they had seen God destroy the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. And now they come to the edge of the promised land, and, and God says, I want you to go in it and take it. And after they had all, all seen all that God had done to the Egyptians, now they're afraid of the people who are in the land. And they chose to say, no, we're not going in because those people will destroy us. You know, it's interesting that a lot of times we're like that. We forget what God's done for us in the past and how He has been victorious for us, but when we face what's ahead of us, we tremble. But it was the fear of man. They were afraid. You see, in their eyes, God was small, and the people were big. See, that's what the fear of man does. It makes God small in your eyes, and it makes other people big. You see, because if God were big in your eyes, then obeying Him would not be an issue. You would see God big and people small, and their opinion of what you ought to do matters little in comparison to what you know God wants you to do. But how many of us, though, have disobeyed God because we valued the opinion of someone else against what we know God has told us to do? Look at 1 Samuel 15. I want to read verses 1 through 9. Samuel also said to Saul, Now here's what's happening here. God told Saul, Go to the Amalekites and destroy the whole city. The king, the people, the animals. And so it says here in 1 Samuel 15, 1, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together, numbered them, and and 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took King Agag of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Okay, so we see what God told them to do and what Saul actually did. He did not do everything God told him to do. He did what God told him to do, but he only did it partially. Partial obedience. You know what partial obedience is? It's disobedience. 
Now, we're not going to go into the ramifications of why God asked them to kill everybody. Okay, that's not the point of this message. But we have to trust in a sovereign God. And they had enemies. These were enemies of God that had, had attacked God's people. And God was purifying the land of the pagans and establishing his people in that land. But look at verse 17. So now he's confronted. Saul is being confronted by the prophet Samuel. And Samuel said to Saul, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you, anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. You see, that's a lot of the way we are sometimes. We think because we partially obeyed God that we've obeyed God. Well, there's a great sermon right here for all church people. Hear it well. Because you see, we can be doing certain things that we know we ought to be doing. And we can leave undone things we know we ought to be doing. But we think because we're doing all these wonderful things, it's okay to leave these things undone. And we think we're okay with God, but we're incomplete in our obedience. For example, just coming to church this morning doesn't mean you've obeyed God. Or that you will obey God this week. Just being here isn't a sign of your obedience. What are you going to do tomorrow when the pressure comes on the job? What are you going to do when... when uh, when the devil tempts you this week with any particular type of sin? What about when God is asking you to share your faith with someone? And you say, well, no, that's just not my calling. You're right, it's not a calling. It's a command. Thank you, Ike. It's a command. And who's it given to? Every believer, every Christian. So for a Christian to say, I can go to church and pray and read my Bible and tithe, but I don't have to witness... You're in rebellion against God. You're, you're incomplete in your obedience, which is what again? Disobedience. Or for a Christian to say, well, I can come to church and I can read my Bible, I can pray and, and I can witness, but I don't have to tithe. I don't have to give money to things like Compassion International. I don't have to bring my tithes to the church. I, I can do what I want to with my money. That's not what the Scripture teaches, and you know it. If you've read the Bible, then you know that's not what the Scripture teaches. And so to leave out something that you know is a command from God is rebellion. Now let's keep reading. Saul said, I have obeyed. Well, that's what we'd say. Lord, I've obeyed in this area. But Saul, Samuel said, Saul, but you haven't obeyed completely in this area. So... He said, I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder. Now what's Saul doing? He's pointing his finger. Who's king anyway? Who's king? Saul's king. 
or the people king. I mean, he had the, he had the authority. He could give them the command, but now he's pointing the finger. He's blaming other people. The people took of the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Now what he's doing? Now is what, what is he doing? He's, he's blaming people, and then he's saying, oh, and Samuel, we did it for such a spiritual reason. We were going to make sacrifices to God. And see, we can come up with all kinds of excuses of why we're not doing what God's called us to do. And Saul was saying, uh, the people did it, and, and we did it because we want to offer this great sacrifice to God. We spiritualize our disobedience. And we think we're justified before God for doing it. You can't spiritualize disobedience. You cannot do it. Yeah, you can. Let me back it up. You can spiritualize your disobedience. It's just of the evil spirit, not the Holy Spirit. The devil will cause us to see things. When we fall into this snare of disobedience, we're blinded. We're deceived. Now, let's keep reading. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, here's that famous verse, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Samuel says to Saul, Saul, you don't understand the significance of your disobedience. God is not pleased with your partial obedience. Yes, you got a lot of things right, but God is not pleased with the things you left undone. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees. The same principle applies in Matthew chapter 24, 23. Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees about their nitpickiness, about uh, the law. He said, you, you make sure you tithe the littlest bit that you make from your little herb gardens. He said, and, and you, you strain at a gnat, but you swallow what? A camel. In other words, Jesus was saying, you, you, you get so worked up over the littlest things, but you let the big things go. And here's what Jesus said. He said, the main thing is justice and mercy and truth. He said, these you should have done, but not leave the others undone. What's Jesus saying? He says, yes, pay attention to the little things, but don't forget the weightier things. He's not saying, he, Jesus is saying, we need to be completely obedient. And the Pharisees were not completely obedient. It made them hypocrites. And we are hypocrites when we think we're right with God. And we are right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But when we think we're obeying God in this area and we can ignore another area. You cannot do that. That's what the fear of man leads us to. And why did Saul do this? Verse 24 gives us the, the reason. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Now finally, Saul agrees. I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Here's why I did it. I feared the people. And I obeyed their voice. The fear of man cost Saul everything. Do you know this one instance is what cost Saul and his descendants the kingdom and the, and the um, royal line? Because if we back up to verse 23, 
Samuel told Saul, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. And God stripped the kinghood from Saul and his family and bestowed it upon another and his family. Who was that other one? David. And it says about David that David was a man after God's own heart. Not that David was perfect. Not that David always did everything that he ought to do because we know he wasn't. But David had a heart directed to pleasing God, doing what was right. But Saul and the children of Israel listened. They listened they, they, to the people instead of to what God said. And they let people dictate their actions instead of God. And, and I, I'm challenging us, myself included. Hey, there's nobody, nobody that is not susceptible to this temptation of, of the fear of man. It, it has many different hats and many different faces. It's very easy to give into, and you can give into it without even thinking about it because it's just, we just by nature want to make people happy, want to please people. I want to challenge us in this series of, of that we think about pleasing God first. That's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God. The first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And the second is like to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The order is very important. We don't love our neighbor first and then love God. And that's what the world's doing. I mean, I think the world is, is pretty decent overall at or at least our nation, pretty decent overall, loving people. I think it's getting colder and colder. I think hatred is growing more and more, as the Bible says, as we see uh, the day of Jesus approaching closer and closer. The love of many will grow cold. We see more violence than we ever had before, more hatred, more division, more strife, more uh, uh, of everything evil. But I think, generally speaking, at this point, there's a lot of love in this world, but there's love for people, but not a lot of love for God. When you start talking about God, and especially Jesus, that's when the hatred and the violence starts coming out. It's okay to talk about loving one another. But they don't want to talk about loving Christ first and supremely. And that's the greatest commandment. And you see, the first time we talked about this, we talked about how in Deuteronomy, the first, one of the first instances where we're commanded to love God, in that same verse, he says... You're commanded to fear the Lord your God and to love Him with all your heart. We talked about how the fear of God and the love of God go hand in hand. They're basically two sides of the same coin. If you love God supremely, you live with a, a, a devotion to Him first, not to others first. I can't love my wife and my children. I can't love you the way I am supposed to without loving Christ first. If I put your needs first, your wants first, we would have been shipwrecked long ago here. That's true for a marriage. That's true for a family. That's true for a company. When you put the wishes of the people first, you will shipwreck that organization. But if you put God first, and fear God and love God first, that's the marriage, that's the family, that's the church, that's the company. That's the organization that will thrive and grow 
and that God can bless. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There may be someone here today. First of all, you may be a believer. You may be a Christian, but you know that's not true of you right now. You've been walking a guilty distance from the Lord. Maybe you've been living in the fear of man and not even known it, but just been made more aware to you today and maybe in weeks past. You have to come to the point where Saul came to. You're right. I have sinned against the Lord, and it's because I feared man. You see, because God can't heal you of that sin unless you confess that sin. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But in the previous verse, He says, but if we say we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. God can't bless or forgive a person who thinks they haven't sinned or who thinks they're not guilty. But, so if you're here today and you say, you know, that is a problem in my life. I recognize that I'm beginning to see it. Just admit it to God and confess it, ask Him to forgive you and to help you recognize how it plays out in your life and start taking steps of obedience to weed out the fear of man, not the love of man. God wants you to love people. God does want you to care about what they think and how they feel, but not to be dictated and controlled by those things. Maybe someone here today that this is so foreign to you because you're not in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You're an unbeliever. You're separated from Him because of your sin, because you've never admitted that you needed Him. You need to be, as the Bible says, saved. That's not a church term. That's not even a Christian term. It's a Bible term. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to everyone who believes in his name. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He told Nicodemus, that one man who was operating under the fear of man that came to him by night, afraid of what others might think, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Quit worrying. Now, I'm just adding here. Quit worrying what other people think and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That's what some of you need to do today. Quit worrying about what other people think because you're not going to stand before other people when you die. You're going to stand before one person. We stand before one person this morning in our worship. God's the audience of one. When you die, you're going to stand before one person. It ain't going to be your peers. It's not going to be your boss. It's not going to be your school teachers. It's not going to be your pastor. It's going to be God Almighty. And you have to give account to Him. Now suppose you stand before Him and He says this, Why should I let you into my heaven? What's your answer? Well, I went to church. I gave to the poor. I even sponsored her child through Compassion International. Some of you might even say, well, I, I, I did not believe. I, I did know that there was a God. And 
you know, that he, he had a son that everybody called Jesus, and they talked about, I, I, I did not believe. But you didn't do something that you need to do today. And it's the one thing that will keep the devil out of heaven. You see, the devil believes everything we believe about God. you know that? He knows and believes everything we believe. That's what the Bible says. In fact, he was number, I would say number two in heaven. The Bible says he was the highest archangel in heaven. Lucifer, son of the morning, till he rebelled against God and was expelled. He knows who God is. He knows who Jesus is. He knows what God did by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He knows God raised him from the dead. He knows there's a heaven. He knows there's a hell. He knows that he must give account. He even knows where the Bible says that one day he's going to kneel and bow and confess Jesus as Lord, but it'll be too late for him. But you know the one thing he'll never do before it's too late? There's one thing I'm asking you to do. One thing God wants you to do and the one thing you need to do and that is surrender and commit your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. He'll never do that until he's forced to. The Bible says one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and things on earth, under the earth, and in heaven. You don't want to wait till you're under the earth in hell. Then it's too late. There's no second chances. You see, the only answer that you could give to God when you stand before him and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? The only answer you can give is not that I went to church, not that I tithed, not that I gave to the poor, not that I read my Bible, not that I prayed, but Lord God, the only thing I have to say is I'm a sinner broken by sin. But you sent your son Jesus and he died for me. He shed his blood for me. You raised, raised him from the dead and I have placed my faith and trust in him. I committed my life to him when I was a six-year-old boy or a 15-year-old teenager or a 35-year-old adult or a 72-year-old adult, whatever. You stand before God, that's your only recourse. Lord, the only way I can get in is through the blood of Jesus, and I've been saved. I've given my life to him. And that's when you'll hear the, date, the gates, if, the, if you... If, and there are gates there, you'll hear the gates creak open, and you'll hear the words from the Father... Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's the only answer. But you have to today, you have to surrender, commit your life to Jesus Christ. Believe that what he did was for you. Would you do that today? You say, I'll wait till tomorrow. What if tomorrow doesn't come for you? The Bible says don't boast of tomorrow. He says today is the day of salvation. You may not have another opportunity. Would you bow your heads with me?